Hello and welcome to the Meningitis Foundation New Zealand podcast, providing you with information about meningitis and septicemia and the diseases that cause them, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. Today I'll be speaking with Lisa and Mark Gallagher. I've known Lisa and Mark for a number of years now and our first conversation was by phone, the day that their daughter Tish was admitted to hospital with meningococcal meningitis. Tish didn't survive and her death hit Mark and Lisa and their family really hard, but they were determined that her death would not be in vain. Tish was an organ donor and her gift gave a second chance at life to five other New Zealanders. And Mark and Lisa have worked tirelessly to raise awareness of meningitis and advocate for access to the life-saving vaccines for all New Zealanders. Lisa and Mark join me today on the phone from their home in Levin to share their story and Tesha's story. Thank you, Lisa and Mark, and welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Now, as we talk today, it's coming up to nearly seven years since Tesh died from meningococcal meningitis. And from what I, I know, it's been a pretty tough seven years. Are you okay to go back and tell us a little bit about Tesh and what type of teenager she was? And we'll start even before you knew that she had fallen ill. Yeah, Tish was a um, very outgoing child, even from even a little child. She was always one of those kids that always helped out everyone else, um, was always friends with everybody. You know, it didn't matter whether they were in, the, in her group or not in her group or were popular kids or not popular kids, um, you know, right through. And then she got into the teenage years and she helped out with all the different activities at school, um, she helped kids that were struggling in life as well. Um, you know, we have a few a few of her friends who um, have been down some pretty tough roads and, you know, they look back at Tish and think, wow, you know, she really helped me um, along the road. Um, so that was the sort of person she was. She was one of those kids that was always happy and always um, helping others. And when you first got the, the call from her to say that she wasn't well, Tell me a little bit about that sequence of events. Where was she? What happened? Um, she actually arrived at our house. She wasn't um, staying with us at the time. Um, she turned up here for dinner and just didn't feel well at all, didn't eat, which sparked a <laughs> awareness in our eyes. Um, and she sort of just lay on the couch but wasn't overly sick, as in, right, we need to get her to hospital. Um, and yeah, just appeared to be fluey. Yeah. So we made her make an appointment the next day to see the doctors really, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, it was a Sunday night. Yeah. And we usually have a family dinner on a Sunday night. She came around, um, with her boyfriend and yeah, they, she just wasn't a hundred percent. So yeah, we got the doctor's appointment the next day. And did she go to the GP the next day? Yes. Yes, she did. Yeah. And um, they, um, yeah, she had a sore throat and normal symptoms of just being run down, really. So they, um, yeah, sent her home with some Diflam spray and um, Panadol, I think. Yeah, nothing major. I mean, like the doctor said when she was messaging uh, in her thing, she had her cell phone out and was messaging her friend. I met the doctor and she was asked to put her cell phone down so there was no eye strain no no real like major symptoms of meningitis at that stage so yeah and what happened in the hours after that um Tish went back to her flat 
and um, my mum had actually picked her up, took her back to the flat, um, and we carried on our normal normal day. I got a phone call from her about five, or text from her actually, saying that she um, wasn't feeling, still wasn't feeling 100% and couldn't really eat, so I thought I'll go drop her off some yoghurt. I didn't actually get to see her. I saw her boyfriend, gave her the yoghurt, him the yoghurt, sorry, and um, then that night she said she was feeling a bit cold. Um, she may go back and stay with her nana, her grandma, and um, then the boyfriend said, no, he'll, because, you know, being in a flat, they're not, you know, a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, they ended up staying there. And, um, yeah, next thing we, yeah, got the phone call. Plus four in the morning. Plus four in the morning that, yeah, it all turned so she'd gone down pretty quickly. Very quickly. In the middle of yeah. the night. Yeah. Yeah. So you met her at, at the hospital, I'm imagining? What, yes. What was the, the sequence of events when you actually got to the hospital? Were you informed that she had meningitis at that stage or did they not know? Straight away. Um, she was in A&E. <clears throat> um, they had several doctors and nurses working with her. They were um, very concerned because she was having seizures um, and it wasn't wasn't good to see. Um, she wasn't really coherent. She couldn't talk to us. Um, the doctors were trying to put an, a drip in her hand, and she kept pulling it out um, and then having seizures. So I actually had to talk to her and whisper in her ear to calm her down, which did, and they finally got the drip in. Um, the doctors then said, look, they're putting medication in because uh, they suspect meningitis. That was the first time we'd actually heard it could have been that. Um, they then did a few other, you know, bits and pieces that they needed to do. Um, then advised us they were going to put her into an induced coma um, and move her up to A and E, um, and that would take, you know, probably half an hour to an hour. Um, so, you know, if we wanted to go and freshen up, we could. Um, and yeah, that was that was basically the first we'd actually heard about it. I mean, this took probably all of about. Half an hour, an hour. Gosh. So did you have any idea as to what could potentially happen, what meningitis did or, or was or, or how it affected the body? Did they give you any of that information? No. So that must no, have been not, pretty not, traumatic. Not at all. Um, we had in our mind when they said meningitis, all I remembered back to was the, um, just the disease itself. Um didn't, not in my own mind did I ever think that it's you know, all I could think of is yes, you may get the rash, you'll survive, you know, just yeah. Mm-hmm. They never, I mean, at one stage they said worst case scenario. I remember them saying worst case scenario, she may be flown to Wellington Hospital and may have to have some fluid drained from her neck. And I remember them, one of them saying that at one stage worst case scenario and I was thinking oh I don't know who it was but I remember one of the doctors saying that in passing and I thought oh, worst case scenario we're going to get everyone to Palmerston then we're going to have to tell them all to go to Wellington and um, that was my worst fear was having to tell them all to have now turn around and go to Wellington um, but that was not the worst case scenario <laughs> 
Now, the, the infection obviously moved pretty quickly. Very, yeah. very fast. Um, and they do say it moves moves very quick, but, yeah, with Tish it was... I think it even surprised the doctors. Yeah, it was four hours. It, went. it didn't go through to her blood. It went straight to straight to her brain. So, um, so yeah. how long did you have with Tish before she was declared dead? Um, they told us at 8.30 in the morning, we got there, what, 5.30? They told us at 8.30, they came in and said, look, the senior doctor and the junior doctor sat down with myself, Lisa, and um, Kay, which was Tisha's boyfriend, and said that he, there's nothing they can do for her. This was at 8.30 in the morning. Um, and we were like, what do you mean? <laughs> you said the worst case scenario was they were going to move her to Wellington and drain some fluid. Um, they said it, it's just progressed that quickly. Um, there's nothing we can do. Um, so yeah, we were pretty shocked, obviously. Um, Kay was angry and frustrated, as you can imagine. Mm. So, um, but she probably, I think the last time we actually got, cause we, when she was in the coma, you could talk to her and you'd get tears. Um, but we think those, those stopped around lunchtime. Mm-hmm. We knew then that, you know, she wasn't there. I think it was, yeah, they pronounced her brain dead about 12. Yeah. And they still have to do a few tests afterwards just to confirm. fully confirm. And had you talked with Tesh or as a family about organ donation at that stage? Yes, we'd, we'd actually spoken to her. She had spoken to us a week before um, she passed away because um, she was going for a driver's licence. <laughs> And I'd just recently lost my dad, so um, she had talked about, um, was very open. She's a very open, open girl about all sorts of stuff. So she had actually said to us, if anything is to happen to me at all, when I die, make sure I, if I'm able to, um, donate my organs. So when we were asked the question about organ donation, which was surprised the doctors, immensely when they said, look, now we do need to ask you, um, will you donate? Are you available, you know, to mm-hmm. donate? Or to say, yes, straight away. They were like, um, okay, we'll ask you again. Because <laughs> yep. um, most people, you know, yeah, don't answer straight away. They have to discuss it for a while. And, you know, she had already, we already knew that decision. Yeah, it was yeah. the easiest decision we had to make. And do you know which of Tisha's organs were donated? Yes, we do. We get told um, at the time what organs have gone where and to who, not the person, but to the age mm-hmm. of the person. Um, and we get letters. Yeah. Yeah, which so is they really, couldn't, really comforting. The problem was the organ donation team got stuck in Auckland because of fog, so they couldn't come until the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, which means her lungs were not able to be used, but they used um, both kidneys, liver, um, her eyes, which I th- which I was like quite surprised about. Um, mm-hmm. And they could use all parts of the eye, which was really cool. Um, they wanted to use her heart, but once they actually got her onto the operating table, um, it had been too long on the life support. 
Um, so they couldn't actually use the heart, but they said, look, they could use the heart valves. Could they take the heart valves? Mm -hmm. And yep, no problems at all. Um, so they took all the heart valves as well. Um, so that was the, the main organs that they took. And what does it mean to you knowing that Tisha's organs live on in others and have given a second chance at life to that many people? Oh, it's amazing. Um, it's something good that's come out of something so tragic. Um, and it's just, um, it's just Tish all over because she's oh. is always just so giving and just knowing that that is something she would have wanted yes. to do. And she's we've heard from a couple of the recipients with letters saying, you know, they've they've been around now to see grandchildren um, that they would never have got to see if it wasn't for Tish, you know, and because Tish loved kids, that's so beautiful. you know, her that's that's probably the the most amazing thing for her. You know, to probably see from above that these guys are now seeing their grandchildren. That's beautiful. Now, you've also been very active over the years talking about Tish, meningitis, working to raise awareness both in your community and nationally. I, I recognise it's been some videos with the Ministry of Health and uh, you've worked with us for the launch of the health report a number of years back. How passionate are you about ensuring others know about meningitis and, and the available vaccines? Well, I suppose in one word, very. Um, it's, it's not a common disease. Um, like, you know, there's so many different ones out there that you can, you know, you can get. Um, meningitis is not a common one, but it, when it does strike, it strikes with lethal um, you know, ability mm. and consequences. Mm. So it's one of those things now where you really need to be more aware about what it can do and having those opportunities to avoid it uh, with vaccines. Mm -hmm. Now, you ordered the vaccine from Australia for your boys not long after Tisha's death. Can you tell me a little bit about that process that you had to go through? Yeah, it was actually quite a difficult process, actually. Um, we actually got immunised straight away um, by the government because of the fact that we'd been in close contact with her. Mm -hmm. um, it was a few years down the track. It that, only lasted a couple of yeah, years. Yeah, it only lasts so long, the vaccine. Um, so it's only sort of like a life expectancy of sort of three or four years. So we had to get the boys done again, which we've done. Um, I actually ended up talking to... Um, a guy in Auckland about it and then in Australia um, from where they come from and we actually imported the vaccines from Australia for the two boys. Right, this was before that they were available in New Zealand at all, wasn't it? In New Zealand, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you mind me asking how much that cost? Was It It must have been a significant um, amount. Well, it, it would have cost us more, but for the, you know, probably in excess of $300 well over $300 probably or $400. Um, however, because I had talked to the guy in Australia and um, done a little bit of work for him, he gave them to us at cost and then our doctors actually did the immunisation for nothing. Mm -hmm. So in the end, it cost us around $150 to immunise the two boys, which is pretty good, $75 each. So knowing that a vaccine's available now in New Zealand, but a cost that is out of reach for a lot of parents... How does that make you feel? Um. <laughs> yeah, frustrated a little. Um, it's one of those things that you've got a, a brilliant vaccine that can protect 
a lot of children against a horrendously deadly disease. Yeah. And you can't afford to do it, but you can't afford not to do it either. Um, so you're really in a bittersweet situation of saying, well, you know, I'd love to do this, but I just don't have the money to do this. There's just no money in the budget to do that. But you really can't afford not to either. So, yeah, whether the government pay for it or whether they subsidise it, um, you know, with the, uh, depending on your income, you could get different subsidies. Mm-hmm. Now, Tish had a very special relationship with the younger brothers and a grandmother that you've spoken about. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. She was very, very, very close with her brothers, um, both ways. Yeah, her brothers absolutely adored. Tish, um, she was like basically like a mum to them, really, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's a, it's a tough one. They, they were very, very close. They were very close. Um, they never. The boys argued with each other, but I can't even recall a day that they had an argument with each other. Tish had an argument. She, she would get annoyed with them go to a room or something but they never seven years between them I guess they never never argued she never argued with them or no. she just she always they were her babies them. as much as ours yeah so I mean it hit really hard when I mean being 10 and 11 and they lost their sister in the way they lost and they still got me but they sort of lost their their mum in a way didn't they yeah yeah but um and with my mum the grandmother, um, Nana. Nana, a very, very, very special, special bond there, I think. Mum losing Tish was like the same as me losing Tish. I mean, Tish was the only grandchild for seven years in our family. Um, and then all of a sudden came another 10 after that. So she was the only one that was around for so long. But she had a very special bond with mum and um, they travelled the world together. Travelled the world mm-hmm. together. They, I mean, for 18, Tish did live a big, big life. I mean, she went to the UK with mum twice and um, she was mum's travel buddy. And when she left home for the first time to try and be an adult, she moved in with mum just around the corner. But, you know, that was her big step of leaving home. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, very, very, very close bond. And Tish did. She built relationships fast and stuck with them. For life. For life, they were. Yeah. yeah. And her brothers are still still affected now. I mean, it's hard now because her oldest brother is 18, who's Tisha's age. So it's all. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's going through <laughs> the same thing she did. Mm-hmm. Now, Tish also had a really strong friendship with a lot of the kids at school and you've mentioned to me that they honoured her in a really unique way. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, there's been a, a few things that have been done. Um, Waipau College, which was the college she went to, uh, uh, came to us one day and said they wanted to do Tisha's story for their stage challenge um, and they wanted our permission to be able to do it. And we said, yes, please do. Um, It's a great way of um, getting the story out there to a lot of young teenagers as to how quickly and how badly this can go wrong. 
Um, so they did the stage challenge. They got to the end of it and they asked us to come in again and said, look, we're at the end where we're not sure which way to go. Does the girl survive? Or does the girl not survive? Um, I said, well, for your biggest impact, the girl has to pass away. Um, so they did it that way. They did the stage challenge. We saw it for the first time in full at the college um, in one of their uh, practices. Uh, very amazing. That must have been amazingly powerful. Goodness. Oh, it just blew us away. Um, everybody was in tears. It was a very, very emotional. Then they went and did the stage challenge in Palmerston, um, and they won it for the first time, which was a um, pretty cool night. We were all celebrating, and everyone was sort of talking about Tish, you know, because it was Tish's story and how, how positive it had been. Even the judges couldn't even talk after right. they'd done it. They actually, had, one of the other judges had to take over from one of the other judges because he was in tears. So it was uh, quite emotional. A very proud moment for all of you, I'd yeah, imagine. Very, very. They've also brought a, a trophy um, for junior football. Um, when the two boys were at colleges, they were at different colleges, and the two colleges have a big soccer match against each other each year. Uh, and the guy came to me one day and said, look, I'm actually going to put a trophy up for um, the under-15s game, which both the boys were going to play in uh, against each other, and I'd like to name it after your daughter. So they actually put the trophy up as the Tish Gallagher Memorial Salva, which was quite incredible, and the two boys played against each other for that, that trophy. Um, so that trophy will be played for every year now for forever. So, yeah, these sort of things just show you the impact that an 18-year-old girl can have on a small town. Yeah. And that community really rallied around you at that stage as well. Yeah, a lot, yeah. And they still they still do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's some very special people that still... Yeah, it's even seven years down the track. Yeah. Do you know whether the vaccination rates in Levin increased at that time? Oh, dramatically. <laughs> very much so. Um <laughs> We've been in town. I've lived, I've lived in Levin all my life, um, and Lisa's been here for twenty plus years now. So you know we know a lot of people. And being in a small town, the vaccination rate after Tish passed away must have gone through the roof. They were ordering in extra vaccines because they didn't have enough. So it was very very cool. And how do you honour Tish on a daily basis? She obviously she's with your thought in your thoughts every moment of every day. Most definitely. Um, I um, when I think of her first thing I wake up and go to bed and it's oh, I don't know I always make sure I say her name every day talk to someone whether it's not necessarily always Mark or my sons um, I just make sure I talk to her about to someone something about her to a friend We'll just talk just, to you. Yeah. And there's just, yeah, I don't know. She's just around all the time. But I just, just to keep her memory alive, I I do something every day just to, you can't forget her anyway. No. <laughs> you can't. Nice. Yeah. Do you have any messages for parents of young children or teenagers that you'd like to share as a result of your experiences and your love for Tish? If you have the means to vaccinate your child, do it. 
um, you see the anti-vaccination people out there and you think, do you really love your children? You know, do you, do you have to be anti-vaccine? If you've got a vaccine that can protect your child, you do it. If your kid's riding a bike, do you let them go riding down the street without a helmet now? Generally not. So what's the difference? You know, if you can protect your child, that's your job. Yeah, and when just I look back to seven years and um, it's one of those cases of we, uh, it's, it's just one of the, you just can't explain it um, until you've been there. We, we are one of those families again of, this would, it's the most devastating thing. It's, it's just the most, it's the most gut-wrenching thing to lose a child. And we, it's never going to happen to us. It's not going to happen to us. Um, now, if we could bring her back for the sake of a injection. <laughs> You'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> Lisa and Mark, I realise how, how painful, but how beautiful this opportunity to talk about Tish today has been and I wanted to just say thank you so much for sharing your story with us on the phone today. I know how much Tish meant to you all and I'm so sorry for your loss and for her death but thank you so much for your openness. Thank you. Thank you. This is part of a series of podcast episodes by the Meningitis Foundation Aotearoa New Zealand to raise awareness of meningitis, septicemia, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. For more information, please head to our website at www.meningitis.org.nz or the Meningitis Foundation Facebook page. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. Bye for now.